0: Everyone deserves
1: Okay, so welcome to Supported Loving podcast number nine, I'm going to say. It might not be nine, it might be eight, but um, I'm joined today with uh, Liz Wilson. She's a family consultant for Dimensions. Um, she has written us uh, several lovely blogs, but I thought I get so many questions from families that I would uh, do a podcast with Liz and ask, answer some of the questions that I get asked so often. Um, so welcome, Liz. Hello, nice to talk to you and everyone else out there. So, um, would you just like to introduce yourself a little bit more, Liz, and, and why and why why why, why you're on the uh, why are you on the podcast?
0: Okay, so I'm I'm a mum to a young woman who's twenty three who has learning disabilities, and my brother is just a couple of years younger than me, so he's a middle aged bloke, also with learning disabilities, and I have. Um, four cousins and a nephew who has have a mixture of learning disabilities and autism um so I've been around this all my life and I've seen struggles through the different generations about approaches to relationships intimacy and sex and I I just think it's important that we talk about it I mean, that's the most common.
1: That's the most common thing I, I get from people when we talk is that just people just don't get the opportunity to talk about it, or they just don't know how to talk about it. My, my one of my one of my favourite quotes from when I did a piece of research um, looking at relationships and sexuality among people with learning disabilities, where I spoke to family members, was one mum said to me, "I just never thought that part of my son would activate." Which just made me just made me laugh a little bit, but also you know it was just you know just people just, just some of the some of the parents I spoke to just never thought that their son or daughter would ever be um, sexually interested or romantically interested in somebody else, um, which was which was surprising to me because um, we talk a lot about masturbations with people with learning disabilities or even people with very profound learning disabilities. So it's clear that, a sec, you know, it's such a sexual, sex is such a basic drive in all of us. Um,
0: I got a really early indication that that part indicated because I used to take my brother to the hairdressers, you know, back in the day when they had pictures of topless women all over the, the barbers and porn magazines. And it was <laughs> excruciating for me as a 12, <laughs> old girl and I know really my mum and dad they really did yeah yeah
1: wow. and, and I
0: know my mum and dad got me to take it because they were they were that embarrassed as well I don't know why they thought it'd be okay for me <laughs> uh, my brother was really interested just like any other young man <laughs> I bet. except perhaps more upfront about saying it mm. yeah <laughs>
1: Wow, I know they have them in garages, but I don't know
0: hairdressers as well. Barbers, barbers, not women's places. (laughs) Oh okay. Um
1: so so I have I have I have some main questions. I have I have two main two main questions and they're mainly um from from I get a lot of questions from supporters asking how do they um how do they address the issue around sex and relationships with 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 parents? Because they they often the most common thing that I hear is that people work with um, so our supporters work with people with learning disabilities and or autism, and they and they are keen that the person themselves is keen to have a relationship, but their family members are are against this. And even if I've heard even if the persons even if the staff tell the people you don't have to tell your mum and dad. You don't you don't have to tell them you can keep it private, they always tell their mum and dad. And even if their parents don't directly say, No, you can't have a relationship, they'll put them off having having a relationship. And the staff really wanted to know how could they what do you think would be the best approach to working with family members who are very opposed to this when it's clearly what the person wants?
0: Oh, I hope you don't think there's an easy answer to
1: there this There is question. no easy
0: answer is <laughs> there? That's what I tell so, everyone. So, so I think my starting point would be to say that to remember that everybody's different and that having difficult conversations is, well it's difficult. So I wouldn't start with sex and relationships That would be my first piece of advice okay i'd get to know the parents and develop a good relationship um with them before so you can talk about other stuff and i would show them in lots of other ways that you're that you're good that you're a good support worker that you believe in partnership and that maybe you help them solve a few little problems like, you know, the, the matching socks and the bits and pieces, the everyday stuff. So you've got to start from a point of a good relationship and an mm-hmm. open conversation. Oh. And then I think I'd, I'd go back and, and uh, check with them. So when your, your son was growing up, what kind of conversations have you had about sex I wouldn't start actually I wouldn't say sex first no I'd say friends and relationships yes um, first because I think once you say sex people get embarrassed some people get embarrassed Mm -hmm. Um, some people think that's very private and they shouldn't talk to anyone about it yeah some parents will have been told way back when that their child will never be interested obviously that was wrong who yeah. who thought that <laughs> I had <have> no idea <laughs> um or, or or they'll be worried about pregnancy and sexual abuse you know they, these are the these are the big worries so yeah I always start conversations with families about anything tricky by asking what are you worried about what are your worries around this and and get them out on the table because if people are trying to move on without addressing the fears then they'll just stay there like a like a bit of a cloud like a mm-hmm. bit of a rain cloud so get them out on the table it might be um they don't want their daughter to have a baby um, because they can see how complicated that would be, would be yeah. i completely get that oh, that's one of my worries they might be worried about consent they might be worried about their son or daughter being taken advantage of or, or or raped and it may be that they come from a culture where sex outside of marriage just isn't a thing that happens and um, so there might be cultural issues there and of course there's 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 all those of us who were taught that masturbation makes you blind <laughs> and, and that it's sinful and all of that so you know these are these are tricky conversations to have you, you've got to pick your moment and and you've got to do it on the basis of a good relationship um and also i think one of one of the things that's that is a a genuine wish from almost all parents is that their sons and daughters do have good solid friendships and relationships Um, absolutely you know and that that's a given so so the question is um how do you take it on to the next stage and and it might be you know something like oh I've noticed I've noticed Liz seems to have a bit of a crush on on someone it's really nice to see her so light up when he or she comes into the room uh and and take it from there you know plan your openers um
1: that's a really good that's a really good piece of advice
0: yeah plan plan your openers keep them happy and fairly neutral don't start with sex you know um, i i also gently
1: i also think that um obviously people have learned as many people will have a very active happy sex life i hope um but i also think that i've met a lot of people over the years where i don't think sex is on their agenda with a partner Mm. and and actually what they really want to do and when you talk with them about relationships kissing kissing and cuddling come up all the time about wanting to kiss them wanting to cuddle them wanting to hold their hands and I know that that sounds it can sound quite childish to people you know without a learning disability who probably would find that kind of relationship a bit abnormal, I suppose. very certainly at the beginning, because most people at the beginning go through the very lusty stage. Um, but I think that for a lot of people, with learning disabilities, I think that a lot of pe- that that they would be happy. Some people to remain at the kissy cuddly stage, possibly for sev- possibly forever, possibly for you know longer than maybe we would we would expect. Um, but Yeah I don't know I think often we go straight in with sex people go straight in with sex where for a lot of people it might take they may never get to that stage or it might take a long time for them to work up to wanting a sexual you know having an interest in a a fully sexual relationship.
0: Yeah I think there's I think a lot of people will accept that but I think also most of us adults and parents in particular might remember back to the time when all we wanted was a kiss and a cuddle and then how either gradually or fairly quickly um, our interest was moved and and it went further and I think one of one of the worries I remember my mum expressing when my brother and his girlfriend liked to kiss or a kiss and a cuddle was that if they were alone would Maybe. nature take
1: its course would, they were... yeah
0: because do you know it does and it comes over you all of a sudden sometimes and w- once you've got the urge it's you know if you have the opportunity caution goes to the wind for <laughs> well for most of us doesn't it it does um it just does and and how scary is it for parents to think that their daughter will get pregnant that their son will misread something and get in trouble and and get in trouble when, when full consent hasn't been given. So I, I think there are real worries there. So I, I think we need to talk about what we're doing with people to teach consent. And I love that cup of tea. Oh cup of tea analogy. Oh I love I the cup of tea. Oh I love it. Absolutely splendid.
1: I show and that I'm training so often. <laughs>
0: It, it's fabulous and I think when we start when we show families that we're we're starting way back from consent to sexual intercourse we, we're talking about consent to you know and, holding hands and or
1: good touch bad touch to things someone. that we're comfortable with
0: absolutely and and just consent to borrowing my book never mind getting in my knickers but you know? <laughs> actually people ha- often haven't been taught good personal boundaries about anything so when we can be because there was no expectation maybe 20 30 40 years ago that people would need to know personal boundaries people were taught to be obedient mm-hmm. perhaps um so so I think we need to we need to listen to what families are worried about and make it really clear where we're at with helping people to learn you know we people working in supported supporting people get a bad reputation for going straight to the unwise decision without the supported decision making Mm -hmm. and i think around supported loving we're really good at supported decision making we're really good at keeping people informed about choice in its smallest most everyday context right up to the big decisions you make before you get involved in an intimate relationship and and making sure that people really know that just because I say yes to this today doesn't Doesn't mean that's yes to it forever yeah you know so it's there's some real subtleties yeah um and as parents we just want our kids to be happy don't we happy and safe and actually as parents we might tip that around and say we want them to be safe and happy you know parents are inclined by our very nature to want our kids to be safe we're, we're programmed for their survival um, so it's it's hard to see our kids take risks whether or not they've got a learning disability oh so we need a bit more hand-holding if they've got a learning disability to to be able to face the consequences and and allow you know my uh, my my ex is worried that his little girl will get a heartbroken you know you've got to laugh of course you will yeah we all, we all have we all have you know we all have I've uh, been absolutely heartbroken
1: I've literally had that where I've been so heartbroken I've felt sick that I was gonna die you know like that heartbroken but you, you do get over it
0: you do but we need to let families know what we've got in place to support their kids with the inevitable ups and downs of relationships because I think you know so I know my daughter has this real idealistic view of relationships she's going to meet her prince and and she's going to move straight to happily ever after I think like that you know and I, I've told her she'll have to kiss a lot of frogs I remember. she's not she's not keen on the frog kissing element um and the learning from mistakes so we we need to let people know what we've got in place to help people understand that you know, your first relationship isn't necessarily your forever relationship. And that's a hard concept for some parents as well, because maybe their first relationship was their forever relationship. Uh, and I'm full of envy for people who've had that um, good fortune in, in love to find their happily ever after early on. Yeah. But, but that's not that's not what it is for most of us. Most
1: people. people, it's very, very difficult, very, very difficult. I'm determined to keep this one under... <laughs> a short one because they normally end up being two hours long my podcast Um, okay so you
0: had a second question what's that
1: well to be honest I answered I think you answered the first and the second one together because my first question was how do we approach families on the issue of sex and relationships um how do we bring how do we approach it Um, And I think you answered that in the in in the first one about how do we bring it up. Um, But I guess my second one is how was was so you answered probably the the second (laughs) you probably answered that in the second question was how do we work with families that are really against it? So what do we do if we have a situation where somebody is? What would be your advice if someone is in a relationship and their families are like, no, we do not want this. We want it stopped.
0: First thing we need to do is is remember that probably at some point in our lives, we've all wanted to do something that our folks didn't want us to do. And that puts us in a really horrible position between the love we have for our family and our desire to do our own thing. Um, And if you haven't got a learning disability, yet it's much easier to do your own thing out of sight and mind of your parents. Um, And to also not spill it all out. You know and I think I I go back to the early stuff I taught my daughter which is about secrets and the difference between good secrets and bad secrets and that nobody should ask you to keep a secret from mummy when she was little about anything other than birthday presents and treats you know and and so some people will have drilled that into their kids um, as a protective behaviour from being groomed you know so so sharing secrets is um it's hard isn't it I mean some people are no good at keeping secrets (laughs) anyway but I don't I wouldn't want people being asked asking my daughter to keep a secret from me I'd want them supporting her to have difficult conversations and to weigh up the pros and cons um and to make a balanced decision about what she shares and what she doesn't share but also i think we've got to support people and this could come back and bite me on my very own bum but we've got to support people to stand up to their mums and dads in a good way in an ordinary adult way like just about every human being ever has done and to carve their own way um, but I, I see it as adapting the supported decision-making process you know that at the end of the day mums and dads no matter how much we love our kids if they have the capacity to make a decision and it's a decision that makes them happy we've got no right to stop them you know
1: absolutely Um, we, we
0: just haven't and we shouldn't and but I know there will be times to come in my life where I'll want to, where I'll see that my daughter's fallen for a badon and I don't want her to go out with him. Mm-hmm. And and I'm gonna have to ask my friends to sit on me and gag me. You know, <laughs> because I recognise it's gonna be really, really tough. So so I wonder if there's um there's scope for having some kind of support groups for families who are struggling with these issues and it might be for their own religious community faith reasons that they don't want it to happen um you know that and and maybe then we need to support people to get married so they're doing it in wedlock I don't know um but but I I think it's really important that we don't give up um because even though I am here for families a hundred percent Uh, uh, My first loyalty has to be as an advocate for people with learning disabilities. And if I can't, if there comes a time when my own interests are so tangled up, that I can't be a good advocate for my daughter, then I would really want someone who I loved and cared about to point that out to me. So I wonder if there's a great role in this for brothers and sisters you know because i remember when my mum didn't want my brother to have a a girlfriend it's me and my sister that were saying come on mum yeah back off on this don't be silly you can't do this and i I think there is a real role for brothers and sisters who will have a different perspective and who will maybe be able to help mums and dads to see it differently and who might be able to create that space for a person to have a relationship that's but i still think right down at the bottom of it is that fear of pregnancy you know do you think now there's the fear i think that's massive i think i think there's for me i in some ways it's a selfish thing but in some ways it's a practical thing i'm nearly 60 if my daughter gets pregnant and and has a child i face this really nightmare scenario of helping her to raise a child (laughs) into my 70s and 80s perhaps yeah which isn't really very practical, or her having the child taken away from her, because the reality is, social care in this day and age is not supporting people like my daughter to raise their child. They haven't got the money and resources to put into it. Yes, all the human rights legislation, etc., is in place to say it should happen, but it doesn't. So you know, I think pregnancy is an utter nightmare for families. So if if they know that contraception is Properly applied, then that's
1: a good thing. And I think that I wonder if the the uh, the contraception has made it has made it better. The long term use of contraception, um, like the implant. I mean, I'm 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 helping disseminate, trying to get some interest in a project um, around this because I think people it, they say women are being given disproportionately uh, lark like the long term contraception, mm-hmm. but i also feel like it makes people feel safer
0: i think it does i think there's a there's a balancing of risks isn't there on this i know my daughter has down syndrome which makes her statistically more likely to have thrombosis a blood clot contraceptive related blood clot Uh, and and i've talked with the gp about this because she has period pain so you know we were considering the use of the pill just to ease that on on the short-term basis and actually there are there are variations of the pill and and long-term contraceptives that have less clotting um, risk Um, and actually balancing the risks from long-term contraception against the risks of pregnancy or or worse having your child taken away you, you know and we all know of those women who've had more than one child taken. oh yeah
1: them, yeah which is a yeah.
0: heartbreaking unforgivable situation and
1: sometimes you it's know, decided even before the child's born that absolutely. they're going to be taken away
0: you know nobody wants that for their daughter or their son so i think there are real concerns i think long-term contraception is certainly something I'd be looking at if my daughter was in a sexual relationship, make me feel a lot better. And I think the risks to her wellbeing um, anyway. Of any possible outcome of a pregnancy are hideous. And then for people who have um, conscience objections to termination, then that makes it even harder, much better not to get pregnant mm-hmm. in the first place and have to wrestle with terminating pregnancy. And, and for going, am- you know, you, I, I'm not going to get a grandchild. You know i'd love a grandchild <laughs> but this yeah. particular route of my daughter making me a granny just isn't a good one <laughs> you know we've got rent we've got to rent some grandchildren Borrow uh, <laughs> all right then so yeah we we just want our kids to be happy i think and I, I think if colleagues start from the assumption that however screwed up it looks parents want the best for their children so having conversations about what do you think the best is and what are you worried about it's a good starting place you know those old-fashioned person-centered thinking tools like oh yeah 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 I i think a map is a brilliant thing because it just gets the nightmares out on the table
1: absolutely i think so i think i think i think i think doing one of those could be really really helpful
0: And also in terms of using the person-centred thinking tools we know and love. Sometimes you need a communication chart for how best to communicate with families. You know, do you need a one-page, do you need to sit down and do some one-page profiles with each other way in advance of having tricky conversations? We've got all the tools, we can use, we can use them really flexibly.
1: That could be a really good, that could be a really good point. I'm really, I'm really thinking about your point now about setting up some kind of, I wonder if we need a supported loving parent group.
0: I, I think the parents who would automatically join them, join up the group would be the parents who, already like do. Me, who, who are quite keen for their kids to have um, have a relationship. But I think there is space for having people in that group who would be willing to chat to families who are struggling with that idea. Do you know, what, what sprung to my head was way back when 70s, when there, there were um, parent groups who helped the parents of um, lesbian and gay people whose families couldn't get their heads around it, get their heads around it. It's almost like that, isn't it? Um, You know, that we we need an organised group who will take those families who are struggling aside and lovingly listen to them and help them get their heads around it.
1: How do we find these families? Maybe we should set up something and refer them, you know, they can refer them to supported loving if they're having trouble. Maybe this could be a plan.
0: I think it could be a plan. I mean, I think there's plenty of people out there but we're probably people who are already busy doing other stuff (laughs) Uh, but but I think you'll you'll find volunteers and and I think if you put a call out through the supported loving group saying is there anybody in such and such an area who could sit down over a cup of coffee with this family who are really concerned um, and help listen to them and and mainly I think people need a good listening to not a good talking to yeah Um, and, and I think we try to get to problem solving before we've given people a good listening So, And something as big as this, when you everything you've been told is that your child won't have an ordinary life. I think um, it's
1: definitely the being listened to because I think even when we did the focus groups, even though people, you know, there was no solutions in, in, in those, it was just people getting to talk. But afterwards, people said they felt better because they actually got a chance to talk and certainly to talk to other parents as well. Mm,
0: mm, absolutely. Yeah, because we we haven't talked about this stuff you know the only conversation in school days that came my way from a professional end was um obviously withdraw your daughter from sex education and I said obviously you won't you'll differentiate it yeah you'll make it so <laughs> she can't the the make... parts and desires as anybody else
1: yeah fantastic and she did it
0: and she did and uh, we had some interesting conversations including one where she came back and said if you have sex you'll die if you take your clothes off, and have section die. Oh, God, where's that? I'm on the phone to the school, like, what were you talking about? What today? were you do? Oh, HIV. Sexually transmitted diseases? Yeah. And so we had to unpick that a little bit more. That's the trouble of undifferentiated.
1: Oh, <laughs> I mean, true. I, le- so, I learned myself, just running some women's groups. Like, I was amazed at how little the women I spoke to knew about their bodies, just the yeah. basic functions of what their period are for and how they work and why they're there. And then it also amazed me how many times I had to, over a four week course, repeat again and again and again things that I'd said in week one and they hadn't sort of stuck and we had to try it a different way and you know eventually I think it all stuck but...
0: But just thinking about how long it took my daughter to learn to read as opposed to my son you know that, that things... Things have to be repeated a lot in a lot of different ways. And I, I think people make the mistake of thinking you taught someone something with a learning disability because you have told it once or even twice. But actually, these are conversations that need to be revisited over a lifetime, uh, especially the sex conversations, because if you're not putting it into practice. Absolutely. you're Absolutely. Don't use it. it. Yeah, you don't use it. You lose it. Totally. And how many diagrams have you seen of a woman's body, even even a woman's reproductive parts that don't have a clitoris on it? Or labia, you know, yeah, it's like it's just all of it's, it's different... very
1: detached from an actual person. Do you know what absolutely.
0: I mean? It's absolutely,
1: it's very abstract,
0: yeah, yeah. And then all the pictures are of some skinny young things that don't look anything like most of us. So, yeah, anyway, we've gone on a long time, haven't we? This will be ours. (laughs) That's okay. It's been an interesting conversation. It's been really
1: great. All right, well, I'll let you get back to your uh, your planning. And thank you so much for doing this.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. Let me know when
1: it's finished. I will do. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.